Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Recap for us a little bit. We're in a series that we've been calling Glory to the King. Glory to the King. And and the point of this series has simply been to remind us that no matter where we're at in life, no matter what's happening, no matter what season we find us in, in every situation, we can choose to worship. In every situation. And we talked about this. In every mountaintop experience, in every valley experience, we can choose to worship. And the reality and the fact is this, and this is sometimes the sobering one that's really hard for us to grab a hold of, but the truth is this, is that we don't always get to choose our situations. We don't get to choose what life puts to us, what it throws at us. We don't get to choose those things. We live in a world that is cursed by sin. We live in a world that is literally folding in on itself because of sin. And some of these things that take place in our life are either simply a result of the fact that there's sin in the world, or it's God working in a way that maybe we don't see. And it's God using it, the circumstances, to guide us to the place that he wants us to be for his glory. We don't get to choose the situations, but we always get to choose our responses. It's the only thing that we really have control over. Anybody in here ever tried to control your life? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand, because that would probably be everybody. <laughs> Rachel, okay, hold on. Forgive me. This is, this is driving me absolutely nuts, and I'm going to have to just not use it. Okay, there we go. I'm going to try it one more time. Here we go. Okay. Whew. Someday it works, and some days it doesn't. Good grief. I might have to use the handheld because this is driving me nuts. It's gonna, it's, yeah, let's, let's do that. Just because it's going to distract me. Thank you. Thank you, my beautiful wife. Thank you. Let's give Ellie a hand this morning. Sorry, Matt. I know that's throwing you off. I apologize, but I'm not going to be able to focus, <clears throat> and I need to focus. All right, so we get to choose our responses in every situation. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the coolest stories in the Bible. We're going to be looking at the shepherds. We're going to be looking at the shepherds and their response of worship to the coming of Jesus. We're going to read about this in Luke 2, and starting in verse 8, I'm going to read a chunk of scripture to us today, and then we're going to dig into it a little bit together. Starting in verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I will proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with angels with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on and peace on earth to people he favors and when the angels had left them to return to heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go straight to Bethlehem to see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger and after seeing them they reported the message they had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they 
had been told. The shepherds, the shepherds. The shepherds are, are, are interesting because if you do any kind of reading about the shepherds, you realize that they were, they were regular dudes and dudettes because there were also female shepherds. And um, they, were, they were normal. They were lowly, right? A shepherd was one of the lowest professions that there was out there. It was like shepherding and, and fishing was some of these lower ones. But it was a very noble profession. Not only was it just one that was outcast, and a lot of times you spent it out in the field, and, and, and it was just taking care of sheep, but, but it was also very noble because shepherding was really, really vital to their world that they lived in. And sheep and raising sheep and all these things was, was amazing. And so they were, they were extremely normal, but they had a very, very special identity to them. They were very special. I want to give you a little bit of background today based off of some study that I've done that will hopefully give us a little bit of a, a deeper understanding of the shepherds and help us to really be able to identify that with them as well. And, and I want to spend a few minutes just talking about the sign, the sign that they were given. Because the sign at first glance is, is very simple. The angel came and said, this will be the sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, Bethlehem was not a big town, but that's a lot of mangers to look at. How would you know where to go? How would you know where to be, right? How would you know the manger in which you could be? But wrapped up in this sign, I think it's so beautiful because this sign spoke exactly to who the shepherds were and what they understood and what uh, she was speaking, the, the angel was speaking their language. The angel was speaking directly into their world so that they would understand about the coming of Christ. I, I want you to know something this morning that in your life, that when the Lord comes to speak to you, to reveal something to you, he is going to speak in your language. Because the goal of God is not to confuse and cloud his people. He doesn't give you a word that he says, here's the word, now you figure out what to do with it, good luck. No, he's very exact. And how he speaks to each one of us is unique and special because he knows each one of us. He knows how to, to connect with us. He knows the deepest, deepest things of our hearts. He knows how, how to come to us. And just as the shepherds, the sign that the angel gave the shepherds was exactly what they needed to be. Now, I'm not going to preach this, but if you then look at the magi and you look at the wise men, they also received a sign that was perfect for them. The wise men received the star. They were studiers of the stars. They looked into all of these things, and, and that sign was what specifically spoke to them to know there's a king coming. Now, really cool geek moment. Do you know the reason that they knew how to look for the star? I'm not preaching about the wise men, so don't worry. I'm not preaching about them. I'm not. The reason they knew to look for a star is because many, many years earlier, there was a man who was part of an exile into Babylon by the name of Daniel. And Daniel, even though he was removed from his home, put into a place that he didn't understand why he was there, didn't ask for it to take place, was in a situation in an exile that he would have never asked for. And yet he stood for God and he stood for what was right. And in the face of uncertainty, he said, and still I'm going to prophesy about the coming of Jesus. And I'm going to write things about the coming of Jesus so that years down the road, the wise men had heard all of this stuff from this guy named Daniel. And we're now looking at the stars to see the sign. You don't know what God is going to do with the position and the situation that you're in. 
It may look at an impossible situation. Why am I in exile? God, why have you put me in, in exile? Why have you allowed me to be in exile? Because he's positioning you for what he wants you to do in your life. Make no mistake, there are no accidents. Do things happen in our life that are not good? Absolutely. And does God just make all of these things happen? No, he does not. But he allows all of them so that he can use them so that people can come close to him. Maybe you're here and you're a shepherd and you feel like you're just out in the flock taking care of the sheep and you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you're a wise man who's looking with anticipation like we talked about last week with Simeon, saying, God, when is it? When is it? Whatever situation you're in, we can choose to worship. That was not my message. All right. The first element of the sign. And I think that these things are so beautiful because they just create this beautiful picture of what happened when the shepherds found out. The first of these things is that they were Levitical shepherds. As you study the Mishnah, which is the oral Jewish tradition, the Torah that was handed down from generation to generation, and you read the studyings of the historian Josephus, as well as there's another man named Alfred uh, Edersheim, who did a lot of study on Jewish tradition. He, he actually was a Messianic Jew. So he had all of the oral history of everything passed down from generation to generation, but he also was a follower of Jesus. So he understood how it all pulled together to paint this picture of Jesus. As you look at all of these things throughout Jewish tradition, the idea is that these shepherds, even though they were shepherds, they were actually special because they were part of the tribe of Levi. Now, the tribe of Levi, we, we look back into the Old Testament, had a very specific role. They had a, the, the role of the Levites was to serve the temple. They were supposed to take care of the tabernacle. Now, within the Levitical tribe, there was the, the priests. Now, the priests were the actual physical bloodline of Aaron. And they were responsible for receiving all of the sacrifices. They were the ones that you had to stand before, and they said if you were clean and unclean. It was a fantastic job, you know. Let me look at that uh, sore on your skin a little bit closer, you know. Not a job I would have wanted, you know. I'm so thankful that I get to pastor now, so you don't have to come show me your sore, and I tell you if you're clean or unclean. Good grief. I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> but they had this role. But they were part of the Levitical tribe. And anybody who was part of the Levitical tribe had a responsibility to serve and care for the house of God, even though they weren't a priest. Now, I like to look at this, though, under the umbrella of the priesthood. Because in the line of the priesthood, there were the priests, the descendants of Aaron, and then there were the Levites that each had specific roles, but they had one purpose. If you boil everything down that the priests did, it was to help people come close to God. That was the role of the priest. Everything they did was to make it possible so that people could receive the forgiveness of their sins, but based off of the sacrifice, they could receive the cleanliness, they could receive the healing, and then that they could come close to God. That was the role of the priest, and therefore that was the role of the Levites, to be able to make it possible for people to come to God. Now, let's bump to the New Testament. You and I are also, as believers, priests. First Peter says this, 
but you are a chosen race. A, not just a priesthood, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How many of you are so thankful that God called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? And he called you out to be a royal priesthood. What does this mean? Just like Old Testament priests were there to help people to come close to God, our role as New Testament believers, as the royal priesthood, is to help people come close to God. Or, I'll put it this way, our role is to help people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This is our role as believers. And how cool of a role is it to think about the fact that God has called each and every one of us out of darkness into his marvelous light for the purpose of helping other people to be called out of darkness and into his marvelous light that then help other people to be called out. What a privilege to say, you know what? God has saved me, redeemed me, chosen me, set me apart so that I can help others come close to him and to experience the same love and the same forgiveness and the same salvation that I have. How cool of a privilege is that? Man, I think about that all the time. I'm like, God, first of all, why did you pick me? Like, like for each of us, right? Why did God choose us? Like, if he was going to pick anybody to be his representation of his love, like, wh- why us, you know? Well, I'll thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit and we have Jesus Christ. Because Jesus in us is who empowers us to be able to be his hands and his feet and the carriers of the love of Jesus. It's not up to you on your own. It is not up to you in your flesh. It is not up to you on your very best day performing the absolute best. And hopefully you can just be a good example. No, it is because Jesus Christ lives in you and the Holy Spirit empowers you to live for him. What a privilege that we have to be priests. What a privilege we have to help people. So here's my question to us. Are we, and evaluate this for your life, are we making it possible and easy for people to come to God? Evaluate that in your own life. As a priest, are you making it easy for people to come to God? the way that you live, the way that you love. It's real easy to have grace for some people and not for others, wouldn't you say? And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because he empowers us to be able to love the way that Jesus does. To pour out unconditional grace, unconditional love, on the people that he brings into our life. This is why we need him so desperately. The second sign of, uh, or the second element of the sign is this, is that the lambs were sacrificial lambs. Talked about this a little bit, but uh, in this particular season, the lambs were that close to the city for one purpose. The, the, The lambs and the sheep would have been kept way, way out in the fields, except if they were special, she- special sheep, got to be real careful with that one. Good grief. That would be viral in a second. Oh, man. Special sheep for a special purpose. They were close proximity to the town because these were the sacrificial lambs. 
the world that they were currently living in, what was, was that there needed to be a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish, that then when they would bring it to the temple, they would place their hand on it and in essence transfer all of their sin onto this little lamb, give the lamb to the priest and the lamb would be sacrificed. It, I mean, it's not a pretty thing to think about here, you know, but that's what would happen, right? What was going to take place, and, this, and you could see this in, in Leviticus, the Levitical law, Leviticus 1 and also in Leviticus 3, it talks about this, or Leviticus 4, I'm sorry, talks about this, this need for this spotless lamb. But what they were getting ready to step into was the spotless lamb that was going to be the sacrifice once and for all, pay the price, that would then make all of the other things complete. It didn't nullify any of the other sacrifices, but all of the other sacrifices were symbols that pointed to the final thing that was going to take place. Here's what's so beautiful about the shepherds. They were going to experience in this moment the way that they were and stepping over the threshold into a new covenant, into a new reality, that Jesus was going to come on the scene as the spotless lamb. So it was special lambs. And then finally, the location. And I want to submit something to you. This is, this is not biblical canon. You're not going to go back and read your Bible and be like, where's that? Again, looking through, uh, there's a lot of proof based off of um, a lot of study that's been done about historians and philosophers and theologians that I just find fascinating. But there's actually biblical evidence to back up the location of the birth of Jesus. Now, I'm not standing up here as, as a person today saying, this is what it is. I'm just saying, this is a cool possibility. And if it is, there's some really cool symbolism around this. So I want to share it with you just because I think it's really cool. And so I want to just share it with you so that you can geek out with me. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay. All right. Here we go. The location. There was a place called the Migdal Adar. Migdal Adar. And what this was is, is uh, throughout Jewish tradition, you can put the picture up, the Migdal Adar. This is what it was. This is, this is a representation of it. And it was, it was a tower that was used by shepherds. What the Migdal Adar literally meant, Migdal actually meant tower and Adar meant flock or herd. So literally what you had is the tower of the flock, the tower of the flock. So this is what it was. It had a, a section up on top where the, the shepherds could look out and they could look over the sheep and they could make sure that the sheep were fine. But on the bottom area, you can see a cave and there was a floor in there, a stone floor that they kept very clean because this is where they would bring the ewes in to be able to help them deliver the lambs, right? And this is where lambing would take place in this season. This is first mentioned back in Genesis 35. Jacob, after Rachel died, he moved out from that place and it said that he camped by the tower of Adar. Okay, so this was an actual physical location that existed um, way back at the time of Jacob. And it was between Ephrath, which is Bethlehem, and Hebron. So it was between these two things along the road to Bethlehem. And it was said to be one mile east of Bethlehem. Lane, can you put up that map? There we go. The Migdaladar was said to be right outside Bethlehem, just to the east of it here. Okay? Now, dates back to Genesis 35, super cool. David would have actually used it as well. Because when he was a shepherd, he would have used this place as a place where he would have shepherded, he would have cared for his sheep. It was this thing that was just all the way throughout history. And like I said, what they would use is they'd use the bottom of it for the lambs to be born here in this place. Now, the Levitical shepherds, 
The Levitical shepherds, again, were responsible for what? Breeding and delivering the spotless lambs used for sacrifice. And this is what they would do. At lambing season, they would bring the ewes into the Migdal Adar. They would bring it, deliver the lambs, wrap the lambs in swaddling clothes, and then they would lie them in a stone manger that was inside of the tower. This is, this is what they did. This was their life. This is, this is what they did. So, I'll get there. The other thing then about the Tower of Adar is actually part of a prophecy that Micah gave in Micah 4 and Micah 5 around how Christ would be revealed from the Tower of Adar, this Jerusalem. So put it all together. Put it all together, okay? You have the angel coming to speak to a group of shepherds, their language. What did the angel say? You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. How would they know where on earth to look? Well, because I, again, with all the research, they knew a place where lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a manger. And now here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. That when they went to this place, and, and, and here's the thing, Right? Whether it was this place or not, it, it doesn't matter. I think it's really cool. And there's some really cool imagery around it, right? But don't hang your salvation on it, right? Don't walk away. Man, I'm telling you, it is the thing. No, just, just go with me, right? But here's the thing. Whether it was the Migdaladar or whether it was some other uh, stable or manger or, or whatever, the powerful point is still the same, that the shepherds walked into that setting as those who were responsible for, and they were trained with bringing the spotless lambs for sacrifice. They walked into that place and now laying in the manger where they had put the spotless lambs many times before was the spotless lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. I think it'd be cool if this is the way that it weren't. One more piece that I think is just so cool about how God works. David, as he shepherded, he would have shepherded out of the Migdaladar. Jesus is part of the family line of David. And he came in as the good shepherd. And he was going to shepherd his people from a new Migdaladar, Zion. The hill of Zion is where he was going to shepherd his people. There's just a lot of really cool imagery in it. You could just go all day long and, and everything, and it's just so, so cool. Now, what does all this tell us? It just helps us to say that there is a lot of beautiful, extreme detail to the birth of Christ. It wasn't accidental, that none of it was an accident. In fact, this, this is the truth. Different, different theologians that you would read would have a slightly different number, but around, there were around eight prophecies, eight Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled at the birth of Christ. Okay, let me give you a statistic here. Eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person at one space and time is a one in 100 quadrillion chance. One in 100 quadrillion Eight of them fulfilled. I read a little bit about it. Do you know what scientists say about the probability of one in 100 quadrillion? 
It's scientifically impossible. Now, I just love that something that's scientifically impossible is what God would call possible. How cool is that? I love that. I love that. The odds are against you. What is it, Han Solo? Those are my kind of odds. Never mind. Anyway. Now, apart from all the detail, apart from all of the things that we see wrapped around, I give you all of these things for a purpose, okay? Because I gave you a lot of, of history and information, and it's really fun to geek out on. And some of you probably leave and you're like, that's really cool. I never thought about that. And maybe dig a little bit deeper. Oh, it's wonderful. It's awesome. But what we have to do is what the shepherds did. That behind and, and, and away from all the symbolism, we push everything else away to what's at the center of the story, and that is Jesus. It wasn't that there could be a Migdaladar and, and, and they were Levitical priests and all this. It's that at the center of this encounter was Jesus Christ, the Son of God that had come to earth to die in our place. And this is what we see today. The shepherds, when they entered that, they saw Jesus. They saw their salvation. They saw the Savior who had been promised for years and years to come. My question to you is this, as you look at Jesus today in your life, who do you see or how are you seeing Jesus in your life today? How are you seeing Jesus in your life today? Are you seeing him as your savior? Are you seeing him as your joy, your peace? How, how are you seeing Jesus today in your life. Maybe you're here and you're maybe seeing a lack of those things in your life, a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a, a lack of the security that comes with the gospel. Maybe you're facing some stuff going on in your life right now that you're like, you know what, I, this is just, this is a lot and I want to see Jesus but it's hard in the middle of what I'm facing. I, I want to pray over you today before I go any further that you see Jesus today. If you need joy, that you will see the joy of Jesus. If you need peace, that you will see the peace of Jesus. So Father, I pray right now for every person here. Lord, in every situation that we find ourselves in, in every circumstance, Lord, I pray in this moment, this holiday season, that everything that's going on right now, that, Father, you would help us to see you. I pray for those that need joy right now. I pray the joy of the Lord that would be their strength. For those that need peace in the middle of tumultuous situation, I pray that the prince of peace would come into their world right now. Or for those who need to be reminded of the salvation of our souls, I pray that there would be a reminder of who you are, the salvation that you have provided us. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you that in you is the fullness of everything that we need. And I pray that you would be here and that you would meet the needs of your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So then, after the shepherds encountered Jesus, <laughs> they went out from there. After seeing Jesus... The shepherds saw Jesus. Their lives were different after seeing Jesus. 
Their lives were altered and changed and transformed after seeing Jesus. Our lives are transformed after we see him. This is the the next point on your notes here, is after seeing Jesus. And then the continuation of this sentence is this. They reported the message that they had been told. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we have a responsibility to share the message of what we have been told and what we have experienced. That, that, that's what God has given us, is this amazing privilege to not only experience the love of Christ, but then to walk out and to be carriers of the love of Christ to everybody around us. It's this, it's this beautiful relationship, it's this beautiful thing that God has given us. Now, the message. What is the message that we bring? I just want to take this opportunity to remind today that the gospel that we carry, or the, the message that we carry is the same one the shepherds did, which was the gospel. The gospel is our message. It's the only thing that we carry. If we leave an encounter with Jesus with anything other than the gospel, then we've been confused. But when we have a conversation, when we have this encounter with Jesus, what comes out of our life is the gospel because the gospel is what saves our life and it's the gospel that saves other people. We need to remember something and that's, this, is, this is what's so important is we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. There's not a day that goes by that we cannot remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We cannot remember the power of Jesus coming and being born as a baby, fully man, fully God, raising or growing and then dying and raising from the dead. We cannot remember that in our life. Or we cannot forget. Wow. We cannot forget that in our lives. We have to remember it. And, and, and this is a great question for you to take away and process during your life every day you wake up is asking the question of how is the gospel good news to you today? How is the gospel good news to me today? Because I tell you what, it is the best news that we can have. It's the best news that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. We know this, but I just want to give these things to you to encourage our faith as far as this is the message. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It is a gift given freely by God to his kids. And the gift is rooted in love. 1 John 4, 10. Love consists of this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8 says this, but God proves his own love for us in this, (laughs) that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you were finally good enough and had enough of it together. When you were still sinner, Christ died for you. This is the gospel according to, to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. For I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And because of all that, we come to this conclusion in Romans 10 in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel that we hold on to. 
It is the gospel that we need to have preached to our life every single day. It is the thing that we need to remember in our life every single day. And it is the thing that we need to carry with us everywhere we go. It's even so important that it's part of the armor of God, the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace. We need to be carriers of that with us, ready to be able to share this with other people around us when we encounter them. The message that the shepherds walked away with after this encounter was not something that they came up with, but it was simply what they had been told, which was the gospel and the coming of Jesus and what was happening and the salvation of their souls. This was their message. So their response, their response of worship overflowed to everyone that they saw. It says that the shepherds went out and they started telling everybody about what they had been told. They told everybody about what happened. Everyone means everyone, meaning the people that believed and the people that didn't believe, meaning the people that were looking for a Messiah and the people that weren't looking for a Messiah. The shepherds went out and they preached the same to everybody. They carried the good news of the gospel to everybody. Here, here was their response of worship. We, we, we've talked about this over the last few weeks. Mary had a response of worship. Simeon had a response of worship. And the shepherds have a response of worship. Their response was that they couldn't keep it inside of them. Here's, here's the deal. When we have an encounter with Jesus and we fully understand what the power of the gospel has done in our life, we won't be able to keep it in. We won't be able to keep it in. There's lots of insecurity about sharing the gospel. There's lots of what ifs and, and how will this work and how will this process. But I know according to my Bible, because of the book of Acts, that Jesus told his followers that when you stand up before governors and the rulers and the people, don't worry about what you are going to say. Because at that time, I will put the words in your mouth. Now, I'd much rather have his words be in my mouth than me try to come up with some other stuff. We have a promise that when we actually respond with worship that can't contain what Jesus has done in our lives, that he will give us the words to be able to communicate. He'll give us the words to be able to say. It won't be up to you. It won't be on you to try to figure it out and say the right things. Because guess what? None of us ever do. <laughs> but with the Holy Spirit in us, we're able to share those things. The shepherd's response of worship was their proclamation of the gospel. They praised God for what they had seen and heard. Their experience produced worship in them. When we see Jesus and hear the gospel, it should produce worship in us. Because let's just all come back to this, this basic, basic, basic fact here. No matter what situation we find ourselves in in this place, no matter what season we're walking in, no matter what circumstances make up your story, because that's your story and they are important circumstances, but every one of those circumstances is different. Every one of our stories is different. Every, other, every one of us, the season that we, in, we are in is different. But this is the reality that is true for each and every one of us. That at the center point of all of our lives is Jesus. 
The center point is that he has saved us. And the center point is the fact that he's sanctifying us. And he is building us. And he is doing something in us that is stronger than anything that hell and the devil can continually throw at us. He says, I will build my church. Well, you are part of the church. So because you're part of the church means that Jesus is building you. Whatever you're walking in the day, I want us to be reminded, as the shepherds were, the central point is Jesus. Is Jesus. And he's the fulfillment of everything that we need. So shepherds, some cool guys, some cool imagery, cool thoughts around everything that went on. But God chose them to reveal something special about himself too. My prayer for you as well is over this holiday season, over the next few weeks, that God reveals something new about himself to you. How many of you would be up for just a new revelation of who Jesus is in your life? Kind of think it'd be cool to maybe see some dimensions and some aspects of his character that you never have before. My prayer is that as you walk through this season, and as I walk through this season, that just like the shepherds, that we would come to the centrality of Jesus and to be able to receive everything that Jesus is in our lives. Do you guys get something out of this? Shepherds, ordinary people. Now, here's how we're going to end. The gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news. You have a savior. You deserve to die. And you have a savior. You deserve eternal punishment in hell. The lake of fire, where it says that you're cast in, where there's, there's, there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth and there's pain and there's separation from God. You deserve that. That's what you deserve. Congratulations. Merry Christmas. But by the grace of God, that's not what you get. There's a gift for you today. If you're listening here in the room or online and you're listening to my voice and you simply want to receive that gift of salvation into your life today, I want to lead you in a prayer in just a moment here. And very simply, it's just to, to surrender your life And to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus. So that from this day forward, you can say, I've received the gift of God and it's at work in my life. And no longer will you live under the condemnation and the guilt and the shame of sin. No longer will you have to pay the price for your sin in the way you live. Jesus took all of that on the cross when he died for you. Today, you can receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. How many would like to receive that gift? Even even if you received it before, how many would like to receive that gift? I mean, that's, so let's do this. I want us all to do this. I want us all to stand together and we're going to pray and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're here and you do want today, either you've never had the opportunity to receive that gift of salvation into your life or you have, 
but maybe it's been a long time and life has happened and things have happened and you want to give a fresh dedication to the Lord and have that forgiveness into your life. I want to give you that opportunity to pray that prayer today and to receive the gift of salvation. So just simply repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I come to you today and I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I can't earn my salvation. I can't earn heaven, but I receive today the free gift of eternal life, of the forgiveness of my sins. And I ask you to come into my life, to wash me of my sins and to give me a new start. I receive your salvation and I declare that you are my Lord and you are my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, I just want to say welcome to the family. Because very simply, what you've done is you've crossed the threshold, just as the shepherds did. They crossed the threshold into receiving the fulfillment of the promise into their life. And I want to tell you that if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you're receiving the fulfillment of a promise that was made years and years ago that is true and present now and today into your life. So church family, can we do this? Can we put our hands together for those that asked Jesus into their hearts today?